Our scripture is 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. Thank you, Stephanie. Appreciate that. Well, good morning. When I drive around in the morning, I often listen to Rush Limbaugh and I listen to Michael Savage and all these politicos that talk about what's going on in the world. And one of the things that I'm hearing uh, recently from all of them uh, is just outrage. Outrage at what's going on in our country and what our president is doing uh, with our country and with the people. How dare he give arms to Syrian troops, to Syrian rebels? What is he doing engaging in a war that will never end as we send airstrikes? How is it that he hasn't intervened and stepped in for Saeed Abedini, who's in Iran, still in prison for two years? Michael Savage gets to the point where you literally hear him just hitting the desk. I can't take it anymore, he says. And you know what? I know for many of us, we feel the same way. We feel like things are absolutely upside down, inside out, out of control. And how do we live? How do we live in this community? How do we live in a society that seems backwards? How do we live with the president that we have? What does that look like for us as a gospel-centered community, church? Let me pray. Father, I pray this morning that your word will minister to our hearts, that you will speak to us powerfully. I pray, Father, that you will Give us your heart. Your heart for those who are lost. Your heart for those who need you as Lord and Savior. I pray that you'll give us your eyes to see. I pray, Father, that we may please you as your children. In your precious name, amen. The times were similar for Timothy, who was in Ephesus, a difficult place to be. They had the Artemis cult. Remember, it was one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple there. Incredible pagan religion going on and and just uh, atrocities unto the Lord. They They were forced oftentimes to somewhat worship in that arena. Then you had the Roman government, and you were supposed to, when parades would come through, You're supposed to go out and and worship 
in the middle of the parades to Caesar. And there was a lot of pressure. Everything was backwards, upside down. Timothy, I want you to, to stand in the gap there. I want you to deal with the false teachers that are coming into the community and, and to, to speak to the people about what is true and what is right and what God has for life. Timothy, Paul says, I want you to, to minister in the middle of all of this craziness. And I know it's difficult and I know you're young, but minister out of the power of Christ. Minister in the gifts that God has given you. And Timothy, I want you to lead this church family as a gospel-centered church, that we are ministering the life of Christ, that he died on the cross for our sin, that he rose again, that he offers life to anyone who will believe upon Jesus. And not only are we to, to minister that truth, but now we are to live it out, that God has come and he has taken residence in us and now live out the life of Christ as a gospel-centered church in your community. And here is the first thing he says in, in Timothy 2. First of all, the first thing that I want you to do, here it is. And as he speaks forth, this is the first thing that I want. We can take that as, here's step one in this Christian program that we've got for you and how to live out a gospel centered life, church. But I don't think it, it means, here's the first step. I think what he's getting at as he's, as he's leading the church into living out the life of Christ, he's saying, first of all, meaning of highest importance, of the most value, the one thing that I really want to call you to in the middle of it all, in the craziness when we don't understand how the politics are working out, when we're, we feel like we're being led by people who are just evil. Here's what I want you to do. Are you ready, Timothy? Here it is. I want you to pray. I want you to pray. And you hear that and you read it and you can imagine Timothy's like, wait a second. That's it? Lord, I'm, I'm a soldier for you. Give me the weapons. Let's go do battle against the evil empire. Let's step in and be strong and go into this firmly. This is cutting edge. This is what you have for us. You want us to pray? Friday, all across the nation and all across the world, Prayer was held for Saeed. They've been trying to speak to the government to get him released. They've been trying to speak to those in authority. But again, they had to come to this place of, let us pray. Because God asked us to do that. It is of the highest priority as a gospel-centered church as people who are to reflect the love of God, as people who are to live out his life living through us. And so I want you to pray. And so he says several things here in how he wants us to pray. Request and, and intercession and prayers and thanksgiving. Calvin says, I, I don't exactly know why he had all these different uh, words for prayer. It's, it's all prayer. 
but obviously he wanted us to draw our attention to that. These requests, these are are, are prayers that we recognize our need for God. That we recognize that he is powerful and, and we are not. And so pour out our need to him. Pour out prayers to him. It, it's, it's that idea of, of, of praying for, for wisdom. Praying for truth. Praying a prayer of repentance. Praying for revival in the church family. Lay out those prayers unto God. And then intercession. One of the most beautiful prayers that there is where we pray for each other. The scriptures are very clear. We can enter into the throne room of God. We come directly into access with our living, loving God. And so we pray with intercession for others that they might be touched with healing, that they might come to know God more, that they might grow in their faith. We pray for others. We pray for Saeed. We come right in the throne room. God has given us direct presence with him. Holy God. I don't know how many of you are aware, but we have a ministry in this church that goes on. I don't think you know the names of the people, really, and probably what takes place. But we have a prayer ministry in this church family. And it is a bunch of people in this church who intercede for us, who who come in and beg God for his will to be done, who pray prayers of intercession, and they make their request known to God, and they, they give thanksgiving for all that God is doing in our midst. Every Saturday night, they gather, I think in one of these closets here, and they pray. You know, you may just ask the Lord, Lord, is that something you want me to be part of? that I become a person of prayer and then I intercede and I join this gospel-centered church that we get to be part of with the most important thing, the highest priority, and that being of prayer. We pray for all that God is doing. Prayers of thanksgiving and intercession and request. Now look very clearly what he says here in this highest priority of a gospel-centered church. These prayers are to be made only, look what it says, for those at Cole Community Church. That's my version. And then it goes on. These prayers are only to be made for those that you like. That's what Lang says. These prayers are to be made, especially on Sundays, for your favorite football team. That's what my version says. That is the Boise State Broncos and, of course, God's team, the San Francisco 49ers. Pray. And we all know John 3.16 so well, don't we? For God so loved Idaho. And only Idaho. It's not what it says. It's not just for Cole Community Church. 
Not just for people we like. Not just for our favorite football teams. There's a word that stands out. If you're going to be a good Bible student doing hermeneutics, one of the things that you look for as you study the scriptures is words that are repeated because they're given high priority. Because they have significance. I want you to pray for everyone. For all. All means everybody. He calls us to pray. That is the big picture for everyone. My wife and I received a little gift the other day. And it's this little plaque that you hang on the wall or stick on a shelf. And it's going to be a little hard to see, but what it says is, it says, pray big. Pray big. And at first when I, when I got this, I was kind of like, what does that mean exactly? Pray big. Does that mean I, you know, get up a big stature and arms raised up and, God, hear my prayer. And as I started to think about pray big, it's really stood out to me. It stood out to me because I think the reality is I pray small. I tend to pray for my kids, my boys. Pray for my wife. I pray for my marriage. I pray for you guys. I pray for things that are in my circle. And what hit me with this little plaque is that God wants me to pray for all. He wants me to pray big. He wants me to get outside of of my little circle, my little sphere, and ask God to step in, to ask God to move, to recognize that God's the one in control. Pray for everyone, the Scripture says, on behalf of all men, and that means everybody. Now look what he says in verse 2, and it's a little hard to pick this up in your text, but in the Greek it says here, it says very clearly, and I want you to pray even for Obama. That's the language there. It's crazy. I want you to pray for kings and all who are in authority. I want you to pray for Obama. Do you pray for our president? Barack Obama. Do you? Many of you say, Lord, you tell me you won't test me more than I can bear. Because I know some of you have incredibly strong opinions about our president. And the scripture says this morning, I want you to pray for all men and especially our kings, which is our president, and those in authority. You want me to pray for this man? Some of you are very negative against what he's doing and how he's leading. I know that. Some of you love him as a president. But no matter what, there's very strong feelings on both sides. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter how you feel. The Lord is calling us as children of God, to pray for Obama. Even though you think he may be totally messed up, even though you think he's taking us the wrong direction, pray for our king, Obama. You know, it was interesting. I had 
I had this, this I, she was absolutely delightful. It was this beautiful uh, grandmother uh, came into my office the other day, kind of unannounced. She just showed up, wanted to talk to a pastor. And she was, she was, a, um, she was like a Norman uh, Rockwell grandmother. I mean, you know, perfect. She had a little half-rimmed glasses. Her hair was gray, gray, gray. She had just the, the sweetest smile. I kind of expected the apple pie in the visit. You know what I mean? It was that type of a, a woman. She's absolutely delightful. I really like her. But she sat down and she said, Pastor Rod, we do not have leaders in this country. There is no leadership. We are the leaders, she said, in her sweet grandmotherly way. We are the leadership. We have no leaders. As followers of Christ, we're the leadership. Now, you've got to understand my position here. It'd be like trashing Mother Teresa, you know, to speak back to her, the sweet grandmother. But I had to. I was like, you know what? I appreciate what you're saying, but I really, really disagree with you. I cannot say that we have no leadership. You say we have no leadership, and what I think you're saying is that there isn't any leadership that you approve of. But that's not God's stance. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, I can't take that stance. I cannot say that. Because Romans says very clearly to me, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, Obama, for there is no authority, Obama, except from God, Obama. And those that, have, those that exist have been instituted by God, even Obama. And therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. This is God's done this. So you're telling God, God, I don't like your authority, and I want nothing to do with it, and there is no leadership. And God's saying, but I appointed that leadership. And those who resist will incur judgment. And so I had to say to this really, again, delightful woman who we really disagreed with each other, I said, so is God not sovereign? Has he lost control? Does he not know that Obama's in office? And are you telling God that he didn't put him there? You know what's true? God lays on people's hearts. And this was some of her message, too, of getting people in politics. God lays on some people's hearts as followers of Jesus Christ to be involved in politics, to actually run for office. There's some in this body who are doing exactly that. And you know what? To that I say amen. Amen. We need, we need godly men and women who are stepping into the middle of the battle and being involved in politics. And if God isn't calling you to that, he, he gives us an opportunity to vote for what we think would be just and good. And then once we've made our vote, and once that person is in office... What's the radical thing he calls us to do? He calls us to pray. He calls us to pray.
Does God only want us to pray for those who are godly? Is that what he's asked us to do? I need to remind you of the times, during the times of Timothy and Paul. There was no godly leadership. None. You study history, there was no one who was seeking after the Lord, who was in leadership at the time. And need I remind you that the Roman ruler at the time was a guy named Nero. Remember that guy? He loved to light his pathways with torches of Christians impaled on stakes, and he lit them up. Now catch this. I want you to pray for all. I want you to pray for your king and those in authority. I want you to pray for Nero. Are you kidding me? First of all, the thing of the highest priority as a gospel-centered church that reflects the image of God, I want you to pray. God is asking us to do the same with our president, dear saints. It doesn't matter how you feel about our president. God wants you to pray for him. All of us, together. Well, what are we praying for? Look what it says. We're praying for those in authority that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, verse 3, and it pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. We pray for those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. Ah, life in the hammock. I like that. He's not praying that we would live lives that are comfortable and happy. He's asking us that we would pray so that we would grow in godliness, he says, and holiness. Godliness has the idea of... uh, that our our worship unto the Lord, our devotion unto Him, would grow. We're praying for those in authority and for those over us so that there might be peace and during this time that we are growing in godliness and in dignity, which is really living out a righteous life. It's living out the life of Christ, which, which brings to our community Quite honestly, uh, morality, it, it brings truth, it brings good things, gentleness, kindness, all those things of the Lord that we're living out in dignity and we're, we're basically, honestly, earning a, a respect because, because our lives are, are lived out in the power of Christ and it's, it's Christ living through us. Saying, that's what I want, I want you to grow in these areas. Here's the big idea. The idea is that peaceful conditions facilitate the propagation of the gospel. Do you understand? Peaceful conditions allow us, as we're praying, they allow us to to live out the life of Christ. We're able to go forth and to tell people, you know what, I want you to know something very seriously. You have a sin issue and you're stuck in it. But there is a God who loves you and can deliver you from the bondage of sin. Just like we sang that last song. What a beautiful song. We aren't chained anymore because of the life of Christ. And as we 
put our faith in Him, we are freed, we are delivered, we are given life. And as we live in the freedom and in a peaceful land, we're able to go forth and tell people about this. We don't have to go hide out in a cave. Many places in the world you can't even freely express. You can't have a Bible. You can't talk about Jesus. Yeah, the church is strong, the underground church, because they're, they're holding on to God. But as far as getting the message out there, saying, oh, I want all men to be saved. And so in this time, go forth. Live in peace. Pray for your leaders so that we might live in such a way. What are the prayers ultimately about for all men and for your leaders? What are they ultimately about? Salvation. We're praying that our leaders may know God. They may come to know Him as Lord and Savior, and we're praying for all men that we get to touch hands and feet to the ground. We get to touch. We're praying for their hearts that they may surrender their hearts unto Christ because we know without Christ there is nothing but death and that He's our Savior. We pray for all. Pray big. Pray big. Who are you praying for? Do we get in that place again where we're just so busy with everything that's going on around us we just forget to stop and pray for the hearts of men? that they may come to know Jesus Christ? I mean, it's a question for all of us, isn't it? Who are we praying for, truly? It's only God who transforms hearts. We oftentimes get to be part of, the, of, of, of bringing the gospel to them, but it's God who transforms hearts. We've got to be praying for hearts. He says, pray for all men. Pray that we might have this peace so that we can go out. You know, every year in February, there is what's called the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. I actually got to be part of that when I was younger in college. Lived out there for a year and worked with all these men and women who prayed for the politicians, for the heads of states. And so everybody comes together in February in D.C. And, and it's literally, it's, it's from all over the world, not only all over the nation, but all over the world, senators and heads of state and presidents all over the world to come together and to pray. Barack Obama, our president, oftentimes will speak at these. And here's a few words that he said at one of the last prayer breakfasts. It says something about us, he says, as a nation of people that every year for the last 61 years, this great prayerful tradition has endured. It says something about us that every year in times of triumph and in tragedy and calm and in crisis, we come together not as Democrats or as Republicans, but as brothers and sisters. We come together as children of God, Barack says. Every year in the midst of our daily, busy, noisy lives, we set aside this morning to gather as one community united in prayer. We do so because we're a nation that's ever humbled by our history and we're attentive, attentive to our imperfections, particularly the imperfections of our president. 
We come together because we're people of faith and we know that faith is something that must be cultivated. Faith is not a possession. Faith is a process, Obama says. And he goes on to say, I was struck by the passage that was read this morning from the book of Hebrews. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who diligently seek him. He rewards those who diligently seek him, not just for one moment or one day, but for every moment, for every day. We pray for peace. We pray for our president, Barack Obama, who has claimed many times that he is a follower of Jesus Christ. So I think for those in authority who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, our prayer for our president is, Lord, may Barack Obama truly know you more and more. May he know your love. May he know your heart for the world. Lord Jesus, would our president fall on his knees humbly before you and know you. And those who don't know you, Lord, may they be saved. May they know your life. May they be freed from their sin. We pray as a gospel-centered community, as a church, we pray. I think one of the things that was convicting to me is we in America, we're in that place, aren't we? We're in that place where we are free. We're free to worship. We're free to talk about Jesus. We're free to spread the the good news of Jesus Christ, his love for us. In America, we are free. We are at peace. Yeah, there's some disturbances, but truly... Let's be honest, we're a free nation. And so the question for all of us is, how are we doing? Pray so that we might have peace, so that all men might be saved, so that the gospel might go forth, so that people might know the love of God, so that they may know Him and follow Him and have life in Him. Pray for that peace in your land so that that might happen. How are we doing? think it's convicting for all of us. But let's just start somewhere. Like the question I asked earlier, who are you praying for? And would you make a, a commitment this week unto the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, who do you want me to be praying for? This isn't some program. This is the heart of God living out through you, His children that all men would be saved. All. All. Not universalism, but men and women who would respond to the good news of Jesus Christ, respond to His Son. His desires for relationship with them, that they would be saved. Here's what's interesting that verse 3 says. This type of prayer, this coming before God, interceding with all these requests, desiring the heart of God, which is that all men would be saved, This is good 
It's beautiful unto the Lord. It pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved. Isn't that interesting? This is good and pleases God. You know, there's not too many places in the scriptures that say this is really what pleases the Lord. If, if you're like me, if you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but especially as a child of God, don't you want to please the Lord, the Father? I do. And he's telling you very clearly in Timothy, this is what pleases God. That we are praying for all, that we are especially praying for our leaders, that they would know him, that they would, they would live life through him, that there would be peace in the land, so that the message continues to go out. But I'm praying that all would be saved, because God cares about men and women who do not know him. He cares about the lost, and so should we. And when we pray this way, and when we pray for our president this way, isn't this amazing? This pleases God. I know you may disagree with Obama, but I also know you want to please God. And so pray for your president. I want all men to be saved. That is the heart of God. There's an old Hasidic story that tells of a great celebration in heaven after the Israelites, they were delivered from the Egyptians out of the Red Sea. And in heaven there was an incredible party going on. The Israelites are delivered and the armies of Egypt drowned and the angels are cheering and dancing in heaven. Everyone is full of joy in heaven. And one of the angels asked the archangel, Michael, where's God? Why isn't he here celebrating? And Michael answers, God is not here because he is off by himself. He is weeping. You see, many thousands died today and were drowned. That's the heart of God. The Lord told Ezekiel in chapter 33, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn from his way and live. And so when Christians pray for civil rulers, that there's peace, it allows the gospel to go forth and be preached, and we're praying for them to know Jesus, and we're praying for the world to know the life of Christ. This is acceptable, this is an offering unto God, and it pleases Him. Do you pray for Obama? He wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. Well, what's the truth? Here it is. There is one God. There is one mediator between God and man. And that man is Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for some, for all. For all. And this is the testimony that was given at the proper time. 
Here is the truth. Here's what I want to be known. There is one God. There's not this potpourri of gods. At the same prayer breakfast, it was spoken this. As Christians, we place our faith in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ. But so many other Americans also know the close embrace of faith. Muslims and Jews and Hindus and Sikhs. And all Americans, whether religious or secular, have a deep and abiding faith. And God says there's one God. You see, the Greeks believed in a pantheon of gods. Hindus say there's millions of deities. But who provides the way of salvation? Who loves you and desires relationship with you? Hear, O Israel! Hear, O Cole Community Church! The Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. You see, God is a jealous God and there is no other gods before Him. That's the truth. There is no other name by which man is saved other than that of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. There is no other. There's no other gods besides me. A righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved and the ends of the earth. For I am God, Isaiah 45 says, and there is no other. One God whose heart is that all would be saved. One mediator, one who stands in the gap, who goes before God on our behalf, and that is Jesus Christ. One and only one who has paid the ransom for our sin, and that is Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us and yet rose again, conquering death and sin and giving us life. No one else possesses those qualifications to forgive sin or to offer life. And so Paul says, for this reason I am a herald. I must trumpet it out. You must know. And dear saints, as we enter in as a gospel-centered community, because this truth is so important, let us go out now and let us pray. Father, we do pray. We pray that you would accomplish your will through us. And Father, again, we ask for your heart. We ask for your life living through us. Empower us by your Holy Spirit. And Father, we do pray for our president this morning. Would you draw near to him? And would he draw near to you? In your beautiful and precious name, amen. What a great morning to take communion, to reflect on the one God, to reflect on Jesus, our mediator, our savior, the ransom. There's only one God that God loves you to the core. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your son. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. Christ's body broken for you and for me. As we do this second half of communion, I really do want you to pray in your quiet time. Pray for President Barack Obama. Ask him that he would know the ransomed Jesus to the core, that God would break his heart for the lost, that God would minister to him, and that our president really would fall in love with Jesus. Pray for him. There is only one mediator, one who stands in the presence of God on our behalf. There is only one who has paid the ransom for all, each and every one in this room. And that's Jesus Christ. God, thank you for loving us, Jesus. Thank you for being our ransom, for dying on the cross for us. Christ's blood shed for us.